Okay, so I'm Toshi. <laughs> Keep it. Just like that. I just want to be kind to you now. That's what podcasting together does. <laughs> now we are one. So right. connected. So connected. And it's just like a really deep thread between us. So. <laughs> that was pretty. Um, so, hi, I am Adrienne Marie Brown. I'm Toshi Regan. And this is Octavia's Parables. And this is actually our first uh, real-time episode. Although, you know, it's still going to be a couple weeks from now, I think, by the time this comes out. But in this episode, for the first time, we are recording inside of the pandemic, inside of the wake of the uprisings. And we're excited to be able to record with y'all a little bit more in current time. And we wanted to start off with just a couple of announcements um, because the Octavia Butler universe is a really vast universe that is constantly breeding and sharing new things. And um, so one thing I wanted to uplift for folks is that there is actually a um, graphic novel of Octavia Butler's parables, The Parable of the Sower which was put out by Damien Duffy and John Jennings, who also did the Kindred graphic novel. Um, and just wanted folks to know, I actually have a copy of it right here that as you're reading along, it's just yet another way to really enjoy uh, the experience of the parables. Um, I also wanted to uplift that while we are doing this chapter by chapter read, um, Tanana Du and Monica Coleman are doing, they did a series of webinars called Octavia Tried to Tell Us, which both Toshi and I were guests on. And you can see the YouTubes of all of those. But they're actually flipping that into an ongoing series of conversations um, around just sort of bringing the analysis current. So I'm kind of geeked about it because it just feels like a lot of people recognizing like this is the moment to be uplifting her work. And as all of this is happening, I always want to uplift the Octavia E. Butler Legacy Network, um, Ayana Jameson and Moya Bailey, who do ongoing work to care for Octavia's um, gravesite and do tours in the Pasadena area of where Octavia was doing her work and writing and grew up, um, and then do ongoing work of gathering people in her name and holding her legacy. So I just want to uplift those things and if there are other things that y'all want to make sure we know about, you can leave them in the comments. You can tweet them to us at O Parable so that we are all building this like wider universe of Octavia scholarship together. Um, and so now here we are in chapter seven of the parable of the sower. And Toshi, is there, um, will you read for us the opening or a seed verse there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, <laughs> I actually went back a little <laughs> bit while you were talking to chapter six, just to yeah. like zoom, <laughs> zoom yes, in a little bit right. on that um, before we get 
into this one of my favorite chapters in the book. Yes. Lucky number seven. Um, we are all God's seed, but no more or less so than any other aspect of the universe. God's seed is all there is, all that changes. Earth seed is all that spreads earth life to new earths. The universe is God's seed. Only we are earth seed. And the destiny of earth seed is to take root amongst the stars. Earth seed, the books of the living. And we are at Saturday, April 26, 2025. Thank you. I really, I love where we're heading. This is the chapter where Lauren names Earthseed and um, the sacred process of naming, the sacred process of articulating, like I actually have something here that is distinct from any other thing, is so thrilling. So I would love if you would tell us a, a little summary, like what all goes down in chapter seven, Toshi Regan. Oh, chapter seven is is I like it's like everything it's everything it's a thick <laughs> yeah. chapter it's the chapter it, I it think really it's the is. one that like I mostly refer to from outside the book you know because I'm yeah. like do you have your go back <laughs> and yeah. it's all happening here so she names her seed what else happens well she yeah and she's very deliberate about that naming yes. she says you know giving it a name or discovering its name it helps one to begin to understand it and an earth seed, it's the declaration. Um, this is also part of where uh, we really gave Lauren her own voice in the opera um, because uh, she really comes to the ingredients. So we also get the, um, the earth seed, all that you touch, you change, all that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change, God is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is We get her process. Uh, she's going through her old journals and pulling out the verses so that they're in one volume. She's still 15 years old. Um... She calls her high school work almost useless compared to Ursi. Mm. Um, she's <laughs> like, <laughs> she's like, I just got to get this <laughs> high school stuff out of the way. I um, feel her. And she's right. And she's also really saying people, she's, she wants to get it right. Put these things in an order because she wants people to pay attention to what she's written and not to her age. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The survival pack. Um, shows up here, and I don't know if you want to go into some of the things that are there. Oh, yes, uh, I do. <laughs> yes. So, I mean, this stands out to me so much, this idea of being ready and this idea of mm-hmm. having a survival pack. And I remember the first time I read this that I had never even considered something like this. Like, it has just never been something on my mind that I should have ready. Um, and then the things that she put in it, each thing, and it's a very extensive list, um, that she shares and maybe I'll just share that. Um, so she says, I found an old canteen and a plastic bottle, both for water. And I resolved to keep them clean and full. I packed matches, a full change of clothing, including shoes in case I have to get up at night and run a comb, soap, 
toothbrush and toothpaste, tampons, toilet paper, bandages, pins, needles and thread, alcohol, aspirin, a couple spoons and forks, a can opener, my pocket knife, packets of acorn flour, dried fruit, roasted nuts and edible seeds, dried milk, a little sugar and salt, my survival notes, several plastic storage bags, large and small, a lot of plantable raw seed, my journal, my earth seed notebook, and links of clothesline. I stowed all of this in a pair of old pillowcases, one inside the other for strength. I rolled the pillowcases into a blanket pack and tied it with some of the clothesline so that I could grab it and run without losing things, but I made it easy to open at the top so I could get my journal in and out, keep change the water to keep it fresh, and less often change the food and check on the seed. The last thing I wanted to find out was that instead of carrying plantable seed or edible food, I had a load of bugs and worms. I wish I could take a gun. <laughs> so she's just like, I mean, the thoroughness, right? The thoroughness of this go bag. She's really thinking long term, like, I'm going to be going and I won't be coming back. So I need to bring seeds. Yes. I need to bring things that I'll be able to plant in the next location that will eventually be able to nourish and care for me, which I just think is so indicative of the kind of person, the kind of protagonist that Lauren is for us. Yeah, it is really, it is really something. And so relevant to today's um, movement as we watch people take to the streets and, you know, kind of started to see some to-go bags for, um, the revolutionary people who were marching. This is what you need to have with you if you come. Like, this is what you need to, where you need to write phone numbers down in case something happens. It was, that was pretty cool. I was like, it's grab back and go bags everywhere. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And I think it's starting to have a, a mindset of impermanence, mm. starting to have a mindset of being in right relationship to the actual true vulnerability that we're in. Yes. And, you know, even now being in this pandemic environment, you know, there's a much smaller version of the, the go back, <laughs> right? Which is like, oh, like when I leave home, I always have hand sanitizer and a mask in my bag and gloves. And for me, I keep it all in my little fanny pack. So I just know that it's good to go. Um, but I also found that because I was having to dash from location to location, my other things are in one place too, like my passport, identification, my credit cards, like crucial things like that, that I'm like, okay, if I needed to move quickly, um, I have a way to gather all my stuff. And, you know, I've been living in two bags now for seven months. Mm. <laughs> um, and so I definitely, and I think there's a lot of people like this who are sort of pandemic, um, you know, I don't want to say refugees, but people who've been like displaced by pandemic or trapped by pandemic away from home and, or in places they didn't expect. And, you know, it's something to be seven months into wearing the same five pieces of clothing, yeah. you know, and just be like, yeah, actually, I just don't need nearly as much as I thought I did. But this bag has so much more than I would have thought to carry. Um, and I always think about that too. Is like, when do you have the bag that's ready to leave for good? Yeah. Versus to leave and return. Yeah. Or when do you know that you actually are traveling well? Because 
look, you got stuck somewhere and you're okay. You know, so like you didn't, you didn't know. I know so many people who are in other states and yes. And they left with like, they were going to be gone for a week, you know? Exactly. And uh, exactly. obviously they can, you know, go and purchase some things and, you know, but and surprisingly, a lot of my friends have not like, I'm like, do you want me to send you like some clothes? Like, do you, what do you need? And they're like, no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. we got a washing machine where we're staying. We're just reusing it. Like, you know, like, it's really interesting, like how people. Yeah. Um, I, I'm at home. And so I'm like, oh, you know, I have everything available to me. And, um, you know, inside my house and I haven't been leaving my house that much. And so it's interesting. I'm like, I have too much stuff. Like, I need to get rid of some of this. Like, why do I have these things? Like, do I like this? Like, do I even love? Well, I've been hearing definitely a few like Marie Kondo jokes of like, I had everything I needed before I Marie Kondoed my house. But, uh. <laughs> you know, because um, now people are like, oh, I do have time that I could read a book or something. But, you know, I'm curious, Toshi, for you. If you were to pack a go bag, um, do you feel like it would basically overlap with this bag that Lauren packed? Are there things that feel like they're missing yeah. from this bag for you or things that, that you're like, I don't know if I would need that or know what to do with it? I mean, I love her bag and pretty much yeah. I ha- I take I've kind of traveled. People make fun of me. But since 9-11, I kind of yep. travel with a bag that doesn't assume I'm going to come right back home. And it yes. and it's, it's like, and it's not as deep as that, right? But it is like, I always have water. I always have some food I can eat. I always have like any of my vitamins or anything like that. I always have a Band-Aid. I always have moisturizer. I always have a knife. Um, I always have my passport. Uh, I always have an address book with important numbers that I should have with me. Yes. Um and I have I have two phones. Um, one of them I hardly use, Ooh. but I have like the phone I use and I have like the bat phone. Um, and it came in handy because I sometimes leave my phone in a cab. Um, you know, I have I always <laughs> yeah. have a book. I always have something I can write in. I have pens. I, I walk around like this, like you probably have never seen me without a backpack. And I've never seen no, you without a backpack. And because 9 11 really made me feel the unknown in such a tangible way. I was just like, why should I pretend like this can't happen all the time? Um, so, so, so the same. Yeah. Way. So, and you know, like I, this period of time was, I was on sabbatical, right? So I was on sabbatical and I think there's something really interesting for me in that which I'm pouring my tea, our show ritual, I'm pouring my tea, but you know, I think there's something about that for the sabbatical my practice was I'm just going to pack mostly books. So most of, I had two suitcases and another like duffel bag and almost all of it was books, Mm. almost all of it. And I left the books as I went. And then I just had like a couple of sarongs, a couple of swimsuits, a couple of sundresses and the other stuff that I consider to be like non-negotiables, which are, my tarot decks, of which I have like six. Right on. <laughs> and my vibrators, which I was like, Lauren, Olamina, <laughs> don't be traveling 
in the apocalypse <laughs> without your pleasure tools. Um, your pleasure technology feels very important. Um, although I don't know that, you know, I didn't have like a, a vibrator orientation when I was in my early teens, mid-teens. Yeah. So that that could account for that. But then I, I also have this cupping set, like a silicone cupping set that I find to be another non-negotiable now for dealing with like tight muscles and pain, especially in this pandemic space where you can't get touched, but in the same way by healers. Oh man. So, that's, that's the worst. You know, <laughs> it's so it's hard. So I am really spoiled. I realize that my body is spoiled and used to many kinds of touch regularly. Mm-hmm. So in my pre pandemic life, it wasn't unusual for me to have a week in which I saw a chiropractor an acupuncturist, a massage therapist, and um, and then maybe went to someone who specialized in cupping or other things. And because I have pretty severe arthritis in my knees, it, it's like that whole team of people kind of kept me oiled and running. Yeah. And being in a situation now where I'm like, oh, I'm having to figure out what are the new ways to touch myself and what are the tools I need to help myself um, still move. And, and, you know, when I think about the go bag, I also remember something that you said in in an interview I did with you a while ago, which was there's some, some of us that will be able to run and some of us will not be going in that particular way. And so, (laughs) yes, you know, I often think of my go bag as also a stay bag. It's like, what do I need in a bag that would allow me to stay put in some location for a long time? Um, because I won't necessarily, you know, with the arthritis that I already have, I won't be the person who's like, I'm going to now go walk a hundred miles, you know, um, to my next location. Yeah. And even Lauren, you know, I mean, when we get down there, we can talk about how she felt about walking. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not a small thing. It's not a small thing at all. It really isn't. Um, you know what I what I do love is this um, this this knowing that she wanted a gun. Yes, I want to go there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and she tells her dad, like you know, for him to let her keep one of the guns in her room, and um, his his uh, rejection of that idea is that she's creating a bundle for burglars. So you're making it easy for burglars. Yes. To just come in and grab something and run, but she doesn't believe that that's what it is. Right. And I think this is a conversation that more and more people are kind of at least touching in on right now um, because we are in this moment where um, underneath or inside of or all around the pandemic is also the like final fall of the Confederacy. Um, and mm-hmm white supremacy is being challenged in an, in a hyperactivated way. So the defensiveness is coming out in a hyperactivated way. And just in this past week, you know, there's multiple stories of white women pulling guns on black people. Um, and there's just a prevalence of guns and gun culture. And so then our conversation inside of that is like, what does it look like to protect ourselves? You know, are we open to not open to being armed um, is it ideological or is it strategic or, you know, like how do we approach that question? And I'll say vulnerably that, you know, recently my partner was saying something about 
oh, this feels important to me that we have some way to protect ourselves. And I had such a visceral reaction that wasn't to the idea of protecting ourselves, but to the idea that, oh, it's come to this, which Mm -hmm. I, you know, I don't know why it feels new to me, but I think, um, well, I do know why, you know, I, I always say that this is how you can tell your level of privilege <laughs> right? is like yeah. when it feels like something is coming to you. And so yeah. I'm like, I travel often. I'm always, almost always in community with black people that I know, love and care about me and protect me. So I'm almost always in spaces where that safety and protection feels like it's being handled by the whole And now in this pandemic, I'm not able to regularly gather with the people I think of as like, oh, those are my people. And I'm out in the middle of a state that doesn't have a lot of black people in it. (laughs) And suddenly I'm like, oh, yeah. How do I feel about my safety and my protection? Um, And and, you know, and I don't I, I haven't actually landed where I'm like, yeah, it's yes or it's no. I'm more like I'm still in the contemplation of it. But I think it's an important thing for people to be asking themselves is, is I don't think it's useful to have one if you don't feel skilled to use one. Um, but it's like, is it a time when people are ready to be ready to get skilled up in using them or making sure that someone in your community has that skill set, which I think of as the Martin Luther King strategy, right? It's like, yeah. you know, he's like, I'm not carrying one because I'm nonviolent, but my security team all have theirs. <laughs> They're ready to. Yes, right. right? Um, yeah, I mean, but it's look, I think what the time is, is that there has been a, a mobilization of, you know, white supremacist, supremacist, um, you know, militia, yes, whatever you want to call armies growing um, over to the, it's always been in this country. Yes, always. That's how this country has started. Yeah. And then you're now. This is an an era where we're identifying because they are very much on top of and inside of all of the infrastructures of government. That's right. And so like what I don't think you have to just say gun. I think what the conversation um, can be right now, because, again, looking at like, look at how much wealth we have, look at all of our currency. So the conversation is like, are we going to get organized around the fact that we are that there is intentional hunting um happening. and violent persecution happening to black and brown people in the United States of America and that it is being actually um supported by the administration of the president of the United States and a lot of the senate and then a lot of co- cooperation from corporations yeah. and that you know, and that if that we make the connections and that we demand when we make our demands to defund the, the police, yes. that the next demand needs to be like to disarm militia, like, you know, yeah, white supremacy, exactly. like to make it very difficult for that transition to happen. Because all people who get fired as police people, they don't stop being who they are. Mm-hmm. You know, they run to other states, they try to get on police forces or they join um, all of these like, you know, made up armies yeah. that um, exist and work all over the world. So they make money. They continue to be somebody. So the leg- the legislation can't just stop with the idea of money and transformation. It actually has to go deeper to the root of why we consistently end up in these cycles of being, you know, chased and hunted 
and um, physically abused by these people. Like I'm like that. So guns is not everything. There's so many ways that we can be connected to each other. Um, One of the big ones is like, here we are with this social media that we do not own. Um, here are most of our communications we we do not own. And because we, what, but what ways have we developed to be conscious of our neighbors and of each other um, that when, if all of that light switch got turned off. So if That's you right. lost your G, you know what I mean? That's right. Like, and I think that there's something, you know, as you're speaking, the thing that kind of calms my system is, in, in the videos that I've been seeing where people are pulling out weapons, like angry white people particularly are pulling out weapons, what you see is like a phalanx of black people with documentation devices who are not running and who are not leaving the moment, right? But who are like, we are not going to do anything but unveil the reality of this moment. Like this is, yes. this is what's really happening and this is how you are responding. And I feel like there's a distinction, right? It's like, oh, there's... How do we be ready to be the ones who are in motion through enemy territory at any time? And then how do we be ready to be home and protect home? And I think both of those are covered in this. So in this moment, you know, I think as as Lauren prepares herself, like, okay, it's quite likely we're going to have to leave this place. I'm also really struck by the fact that she's thinking about the adaptations before everyone else in her community is. And in some Mm -hmm. ways, she's really like isolated within her community because she's like, I've got this belief system that's helping me understand something and I want to prepare everybody for it, but y'all are not ready. You're not listening. And yeah, that feels very much like what this pandemic has felt like in some ways to me is being, being an early person or being someone who recognizes very quickly, like, Oh, this isn't going to come and quickly go. This isn't going to be over in a couple months. This isn't something that like is just going to impact only this group or that group. Like this is the deal. This is like coming for all of us. And we all have to pivot our behavior and be prepared. And it's been fascinating. Now, you know, we can look around us and see the countries that decided to pivot and then ours and yeah, ours, which like was like, nah, you know, we're just going to continue um, throwing things into a trash fire instead. And it just feels so relevant. <laughs> you know, like I'm reading this, I'm just like, ooh, Lauren, girl, that like you're living in the world that definitely emerges from this period of time. Um, something that happens. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have something? I just wanted to say, because um, I, I feel like you're about to move on from this particular you felt thing. felt me correctly. I felt you turning. Um, but uh, she writes down after this whole conversation with her dad about the gun and him not wanting to like really give her one, she writes, a tree cannot grow in its parents' shadows. Yes. And yeah. I feel like that is that we're witnessing a lot of trees growing um, all out on their own. Yeah. Finding ways to <laughs> see themselves where they can get some sunlight. Yes. You know, that's right. I feel like the next generations, you know, I'm still at that age where like the next generations just give me nothing but hope, you know, nothing but like. Thank God that there's people who are younger than us and less afraid of the future and changing. Um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's got a almost four year old and Mm -hmm. how she's learning to go be around other students while everyone is wearing a mask and some people are wearing face guards and everyone's at social distance. And just like 
in some ways, it's like, oh, the younger you are, the more you'll be able to pivot and grow in, you know, what Octavia also offered us, new sense. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels like that where it's like, oh, like some people are not going to make this pivot through this pandemic. Some people are not going to make the pivot through right. this this moment of political change and shifting of racial power. But there are young populations who are like, we will. We understand how to do it. We understand how to work these new systems. You know, I'm thinking of the the folks who basically hacked um, Trump's rally in Tulsa. You know, <laughs> so where I'm great. like, oh yeah, that like young folks are able to look at this moment and see the opportunities in it that that even those of us who are slightly older might not be able to see. Um, yeah. One other thing. I also. I, oh yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you you go. Well, I was just going to say the thing about writing down the physical addresses of people and how to get there. That so one yeah. of the things that she keeps in her journals is like where and how, like how can I go places. And that also makes me think of, of a kind of preparation that I'd like to see more communities do, like to even think of themselves as sister communities. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, if stuff goes bad in DC, like here's where we can get to in Baltimore. If, it, if it's not good in Baltimore, like here's how, you know, here's ways that we can go north or here's ways we can go west. And to have people thinking in terms of those tangible plans and not just leaving it up to chance or never having had the conversation. Yeah. And I think that's like, I mean, a little bit, Adrian, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, you and I do that where we just are very much in contact with each other on what our paths are. Yes. So it's like, you know, and I did that intentional um, residency yes. with like, you know, our people, Signe and um, Alexis, Alexis and Shango Dari and Aaron. And I did that residency because I wanted to not be random. I didn't yeah. I didn't want to just be accidentally running into people or just missing people. Yeah. I wanted to coordinate our individual efforts in exactly. some way, right? So we could we could be with each other and aligned um in this in this yeah. journey. And that has given me so much strength. That has given me so much of a belief that I can move forward, you know, you know, exactly, exactly. And I think that we're finding that now, like I know the addresses of several of my closest friends Mm -hmm. um, and I know their homes almost as if they were mine and they know that they have access to mine. So it's like, if you're close, if you, you know, if you're like walking and you're close to Detroit, you have a place and if I'm walking and I'm, you know, if I'm close to L.A., if I'm close to Cincinnati, if I'm close to New York, like there's there's also something to me about the de, um, decentering ownership of each home and thinking of them as like we have places right. in our community. We have places and like writing down those things because, you know, everything about normalcy and being able to plan is slipping away. That's right. And so it's not like. You know, like even now when I talk to you, I'm like, I have no idea when I'll be able to leave where I am now. That's right. <laughs> I have no idea if I'll be able to leave where I am now. But what I do know is there are conditions that are are best suited for my survival. Yes. And that's what I can be planning for is how do I prepare myself to have what I need and know what I need to know for the best conditions for my own survival. And in that way, you know, sh- 
most of her references are gardening references. Um, thinking about the seeds. And to me, I'm like, that's how we become good at seeding the soil for our, our own lives, no matter where our seed lands. Yes. Yes. Right? That I'm like, no matter where I land, if I have my tarot deck and my vibrators and I'm like a way to communicate <laughs> to people, I'm going to be okay. That's right. going to be like, I'll be that's all right. right. And then, and then community, you know, I can grow community from that because I have a pretty clear sense of what my core beliefs are. That's right. And I can draw those out and talk about them, you know, with people. And I'm not scared to say, hey, I'm an abolitionist. Like, if you're not, we're probably not going to roll together because the first time we have a conflict, we're going to feel wildly different about what to do next. And, you know, those kind of things also feel important. Almost to having your ideological go back is like, what are the core values that shape how you are with others? Yes. Yeah. All of all of that, like all of that is in her practice. Um, and, and I definitely have started to incorporate that into my, my own life and the, uh, and the mm. way that I'm moving through the world. Like, I really want to be, um, ready and on time for, for what yeah. I don't know is about to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Well, and I love the idea of like actually getting it in your muscle memory, um, you know, just like being like, oh, when I go, you know, like for me, it's like if I leave the house, I just clip my fanny pack around my waist. I don't think twice about it. It's just like that's what I need to. That's how I leave a house. It's in my muscle memory. I don't think about it. And, you know, my my study, my scholarship is in, in somatics, which is in a lot of ways a study of Aikido. Like that's one of the parental lineages of that that methodology. And in Aikido, so much of what you're doing is harnessing any energy that comes towards you to be to be able to harness that energy and then move it towards life. Yes. Right. So you're like, I want to move my own energy towards yeah. life. I want to move if someone comes at me, even with a positive or a negative energy, if it overloads me, I want to be able to move it towards life. And, you know, I think about all the parents in my community where I'm like, oh, like you're trying to harness all this energy that's coming, not just towards you but towards you and the child that you have that you're trying to protect right and on, multiple yes. children you have that you're trying to protect. And how do you build up the muscle memory of either yourself solo if you're moving along alone or how do you build up a collective muscle mm. memory if you're with a pod of people or a family of people so that you're not standing there like, kids, suddenly change your entire <laughs> way of being. Yes. Now you have to be like strict and rigid and running and like, you know, Instead, it's like, how do you start to build into the capacity of everyone you're with that you love? Here's what it looks like to go. Here's how we how we put ourselves in the mindset of harnessing the opportunity in this mm-hmm. moment and moving. And in the um, on the How to Survive the End of the World podcast, Autumn actually just did a whole series on surviving apocalypse. And one of the games that she was playing with her kids do, throughout that series was a game where she would give them like, you have 10 minutes to get ready to go. What are you going to grab and why? And they would take the 10 minutes, grab what they were going to grab. And then they had to sit and kind of talk it through and just learn each time. Oh, like maybe grabbing these dolls is not like long-term survival oriented, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Um, And, you know, what, what do you think to grab at the age of six that you don't think to grab at the age of almost 12? Um, same thing for an adult, right? Because I under when I panic, I'm just like, I need 
you know, I need my weed or something that I'm like, okay, like maybe that's going to be helpful. <laughs> or like, is that really the most important thing that I need to grab? No, it's identification. You know, it's, it's um, making sure that I'll be able to eat and clean myself. Right. Things like yes. that. Um, now, something else in this chapter that feels really relevant to right now is there's a report on the radio of potentially life-bearing planets. And it's the, they call it the big Anglo-Japanese cosmological station on the moon, right? That's how folks are working at that point. And so she's living in a country where her, her, her president is really starting to defund and turn away from the space program at the same time as other parts of the world are really tuning into and paying attention to the fact that there's, they're detecting new worlds uh, that could be livable and that those reports really align with her internal sense of having a destiny to take root amongst the stars. And this feels so relevant to me right now because I'm like, I am a Star Trek, Star Wars, star-oriented human being. And to live in a world where it feels like so little attention is on our relationship with the rest of the universe because so much of it is taken up on just surviving, <laughs> pulling ourselves through the, the landmine, landfield of, of this moment. Um, so I really love that, that there was just something that brought her eyes up for a moment um, in this. Of course, I think we're already amongst the stars, you know, yes. already. Um, this like this is the only place we have. This is the only place that's made for us. Um, and I feel like exactly. we, we can explore that more. I have more. to say, I say the same thing as you. I'm like, we are amongst the stars. That's the yes. <laughs> but yes. she's like, no, I want a spacesuit. <laughs> right. I'm like, okay, bye. Yeah. Yeah, she wants to get off. She, yes. she, she wants to get off and and be um, in God's seed land. And I yes. think if we get to look at um, that. Yeah, which I will say, like, looking way ahead for a moment, you know, we go through the parable of the sower, we get through the parable of the talents. And then Octavia wrote many, 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 many versions of the parable of the trickster, which was supposed to take us right. off of this planet. And that in each of them, she ran up against this writing block of hopelessness, that being mm -hmm. away from Earth was actually too hopeless. <laughs> and that she just couldn't find a way for people to want to do it, to want to live in it. And that always resonates to me like when I think back to this destiny of Earth is to take root amongst the stars and I'm like yeah it doesn't it's like it's <laughs> that exactly what you said it's like we live on the most incredible gift of a planet where yes everything is finely tuned for our survival yes and yet oppression has reached such havoc here that we would consider that our destiny is to go elsewhere it's yeah. wild it is really wild and it's really painful it really is i mean we have everything and what are we doing um why are we running around yes. in this this circles over and over and over yeah. and over again well one seed that i will plant here is that for me this manifests when i think about secession fantasies <laughs> right is mm -hmm. it fundamentally at the root of it it's just saying like there's a huge number of people here who don't want to coexist. And at what point do we stop fighting them to try and coexist? Right. At what point do we go take our destiny elsewhere? And right. 
I think we'll continue to sit with that question, you know, um, whether it's a different set of borders or actually a different atmosphere. Um, yeah. You know, there has been a lot of separation, um, legal separation um, in this country. And, I've, and I'm always like, sometimes like, did this integration actually work out for us? Like, did, did we mean, to, like, because, you know, sometimes I look at, like, uh, some of the systems we created um, as black people because we were just not, you know, not been so difficult to uh, allow our full participation and our full capacity of being and actually not just fit inside a system that exists, but actually transform the system, you know. So um, I feel like, Basically, it it doesn't matter. It's not the separation thing because anytime we have, um, you know, flourished and created and been amazing, um, we have had the incredibly, um, an incredible violent response to us really um, enjoying our lives and being one with the planet and doing all the things that the society says like we should do. Um, it's not about that. It's not about that. The world is, is beautiful and it's made for us. And it's it's uh, humans that um, are complicating, you know, what what we actually need to do. Yeah, totally. So you had something, Toshi, about someone who's preparing us to live on Mars. Is that what you said? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Melody, Melody uh, Yashar, she won the, um, she was the winner of NASA's Mars X House Phase 3 3D Printed Habitat Challenge um, in final design. She is amazing. I did a program with her at the Huntington, and we definitely talked about, like, what, um, all of, how all of our issues are going to, you know, go with us wherever we go. And that even these efforts around Mars are like kind of colonizing efforts. Well, it's cold there. We could get water. We could we could bring these big gigantic pieces of Mars ice to the Earth and make water. Um, you know, like that where our behavior is is never going to change until we actually change it first. So even when we think about, you know, living amongst the stars, right? Uh-huh. We're just going to be doing kind of what we do when we get there. Melody's amazing, by the way. Um, Melody. Let's put it in the show notes for this, too. Yeah, Melody Yashar, M-E-L-O-D-I-E-Y-A-S-H-A-R. Beautiful. So here we are, end of this show. Lauren turns 16, right? Um, into this chapter. Lauren turns 16. Her birthday gift to herself is the destiny of Earthseed, which is to take root amongst the stars. And just as we finish up here, just a review of like questions that you could take back into your community. Um, One is, do you have a survival pack? Do you have a go pack? What does it hold? What do you need to survive? And what do you need to thrive? Um, and then who do you work with in your community, family, friend group, neighborhood? Who do you work with to anticipate survival strategies? 
Um, another question, where would you go if you had to flee? Have you written down addresses? Have you discussed with people where you would gather? Um, what is a safe place? Like what does safety mean to you? And is that the same definition for the people you love? Another question I think is important is what if you can't flee? You know, what if you, because of ability, access, resources, fuel, what if not fleeing is not possible for you? And I think related to the destiny, you know, another question that I just sit with all the time is what belief systems have you learned through observing what, what is, you know, I think about this often with emergent strategy that I don't think I made that up. I just feel like I was observing based on observation and that observation was guided by Octavia writing as Lauren, writing Ursie. Um, so it feels like, you know, she says that this feels like the truest thing she's ever written. And in, in some ways that means it's the truest thing she's ever observed. And so I think that's another question for people to sit with is what is the truest thing that you've observed and have you organized your life around that yet? There's a new world coming. Everything going to be turning over. Everything going to be turning over. Where you going to be standing when it comes? There's a new world coming. Everything going to be turning over. Everything going to be turning over. Thank you for listening to our show. Octavia's Parables is hosted by Toshi Regan and Adrian Marie Brown. It's produced by Kat Aaron. Music for Octavia's Parables, Always See the Stars, written and performed by Toshi Regan, based on the novel Parable of the Sower, There's a New World Coming, written by Bernice Johnson Regan, with additional lyrics by Toshi Regan, performed by the cast of Octavia E. Butler's Parable of the Sower, lead vocals by Shana Smalls. God is Change, written by Toshi Regan, based on the novel Parable of the Sower, performed by Toshi Regan and Bernice Johnson Regan. And our show art is by Krista Franklin. You can find us on Twitter at OParables and sustain our show by becoming a patron at patreon.com backslash oparables. Please share this podcast with anyone you think it would be useful for. So be it. See to it.